0: As we light the advent candles this morning, uh, I will read from Isaiah nine, two and six. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of the deep darkness, on them has shined light. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And I will be reading from the Gospel of Luke. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with an angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased.
1: Good morning. My name is Adrian, and I drew the short straw, apparently, that I have to follow Jim Russell's solo. (laughs) How about that? Oh, my goodness. Well, a Merry Christmas morning to you all. So grateful to see you on this beautiful day. It's finally here. Are you excited? The last Jedi has arrived. Oh, yeah. Big time. <laughs> it's Christmas. Who, who are the kids in here that are responsible for praying for this white stuff out there? Raise your hands. I want to see you. Okay, kids. All right. We're going to have a talk after church. <laughs> it is beautiful. What a joy it is to be together here on this most glorious of mornings. When you were a kid, let me ask you this question as we get started. When you were a kid, what made for a great Christmas? Before you were old enough to know that you're supposed to give this noble, dignified response, like, I'm in church, so I'm supposed to say Jesus, right? Before, you, before you, you knew what kind of response you were supposed to say, a great family gathering or a great Christmas Eve worship service, but what made for a great Christmas when you were a kid? I heard someone say presents, right? If you're like me, as a kid, what made for a great Christmas was getting a great present, which at least for me made the Christmas of 1989 epic. We were so excited on that Christmas because we had begged and pleaded to mom and dad, would you please, I, a 12-year-old, would you please finally cave in and give us the Nintendo Entertainment System? And so we did what two young school-age boys are never supposed to do. We snooped around the house. And we looked here and there till finally we went to where we knew we were never supposed to go, Mom and dad's bedroom closet. We went into mom and dad's bedroom closet and we looked around and went behind a few clothes hanging on hangers and then eventually we saw this rectangular box and inside that rectangular box we saw a picture of a vanilla gray rectangular box and we knew it was going to be an epic Christmas and super duper Mario it was. We kept it hidden for the next week that we knew the secret surprise until we opened it up underneath the Christmas tree there on Christmas morning, and we, we did our, our best impersonation of surprise. Mom and Dad, if you're watching online, I, I apologize. <laughs> I've never admitted this. <laughs> <laughs> Confession is good for the soul. I don't remember anything else about that Christmas. I I must admit, I don't remember anything. I don't remember what Christmas presents I gave. Don't remember if I got any other ones. Don't remember if we went to church that Christmas, though I presume we did not. Don't remember any family gathering, though I presume there was a family gathering at someone's house. All I remember that afternoon was ripping into Nintendo and merging with Duck Hunt. That's what I remember about that great Christmas. Now, many of you don't know me at all. And I want you to know that since I was 12 years old, I have matured a bit. I'm not nearly as materialistic as I was back then. I mean, now, what makes for a great Christmas is different than what made for a great Christmas back then. Okay? A great family gathering would supply. A great Christmas service would certainly supply. But it it does get me to wondering, what is... What is a great Christmas to God? What would make for a great Christmas to God, since this whole thing was his idea anyway? He invented it way back when in that little town called Bethlehem. Some 2,000 years ago, he was the one who invented this thing that we now call Christmas. So according to his standard, what would make for a great Christmas even today? To understand what makes for a great Christmas, I think we have to understand a little bit about the character of God and thereby understand what came before his invention of a great Christmas. Who is he as God? What is his character that he decided to give us this gift? Well, perhaps you'll remember, Jesus' most famous words were these from John 3:16: that God so loved the world that he gave. Okay, and this is something I want to be sure that we understand here tonight, that that God gave. God is a giver. This is intrinsic to his nature. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but would have everlasting life. That this is essential to who God is. He gives. He gives to us today. He's been giving to people for all time. And the beauty of that very first Christmas is that on that first Christmas, God got to do What God is. God, you see, is a giver. So on that first Christmas, he got to give out of the overflow of his heart. He got to express what he is. Giving is what God is into. I know you're not taking notes, though, this this morning. We don't have a, a handout for you today. But I bet you could remember this line. And if you do this is really all you need to know. God is a giver, not a taker. Let me say that again. God is a giver. He is not a taker. That very line that I just read from John 3, 16 goes on to say that God did not come into the world to condemn the world. He didn't come into the world to take from the world. He didn't come into the world to Push down on the world because he's not a taker, he's a giver. God came in not to condemn the world, but to bless the world, to give to the world. This is who he is. Indeed, this is what God has been doing from the very beginning. There was another man in the Bible who was actually the half-brother of Jesus. His name was James. And James is an interesting fellow in the Bible because uh, he grew up with Jesus He had this firsthand view of Jesus, but he didn't believe that Jesus was who he said he was. He didn't believe that Jesus was the Savior of the world. He didn't believe that John 3, 16 stuff, while Jesus was on earth. He didn't believe he was the one and only way to God, that he was uh, the the, the way to eternal life. I can't say I blame him. It would be hard for us to believe that our brothers were the saviors, right? It would be hard to believe. So while Jesus was on earth, James did not believe this, but then after Jesus died on the cross and then he rose again on that first Easter, he realized, boy, if Jesus did all that he said he would do, if he lived the kind of life that he lived and he rose from the grave as he said that he would and the grave couldn't hold him, then I'm with him. I'm going with him. And James became a follower of Jesus himself. And as a follower of Jesus, he wrote this very short book to this little synagogue that he was leading in Jerusalem. And he becomes a rabbi. Back then they weren't called Christians, they weren't called pastors. They were all Jews. And he becomes a rabbi to this little synagogue in Jerusalem. And as he's writing to this synagogue in a little book under his name James, he says this, James 1:16 and 17. Do not be deceived, my brothers and sisters. Do not be deceived. Well, why does he say that? Because we are easily deceived about the character of God, aren't we? Many of us are deceived about the character of God in that we believe he's a taker, not a giver. And we've been through something difficult in life, or perhaps we've been hurt by the church. Perhaps even been hurt by this church. And if that's the case, I, I apologize to you on behalf of this church as the pastor here, but don't mistake the people for the character of God. Do not be deceived, my brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect, there's that word again, every good and perfect gift, God is a giver. Every good and perfect gift comes from above, from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change the one who gave the stars and the sky, the one who gave the moon and the sun, who doesn't change, do not be deceived. God is a giver to us. I love this passage because it speaks to us about all the different kinds of gifts that God gives. John 3.16 is so amazing because it speaks about the gift of his son for eternal life, the ultimate gift, but but James 1:16 and 17 is equally worthy of our memorization, because it speaks to the fact that God is a giver to us each and every day. He gives to us the beauty of the snow as we woke up this morning, the beauty of another sunrise, the beauty of another sunset, the beauty of another harvest this fall. He gives us a breath in our lungs today ears to be able to hear the music that we received this morning the joy of a family gathering health to our bodies we can ask god for little and great gifts like this because this is the very nature of his character he is a giver that's what god does all day long he gives and his greatest gift the one he had been saving up for hundreds even thousands of years comes in the form of a baby in a lowly stable surrounded by farm animals as this huge company of angels descend around the manger and they sing glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill to men. I recognize here on Christmas morning, Christmas Eve morning, it's It's difficult for some of us to believe that God is a giver because we've gone through really hard times. Or perhaps the lot in life has fallen to you currently in a place that is anything but pleasant. And we all just kind of naturally assume that if God is good, if God is kind, and if God is a giver, then things will go well for us, don't we? I think we all naturally assume that. I certainly do. But it's really interesting. Into that assumption, we read the birth story of Jesus. You go and you read Matthew 1 or Luke 1 and 2 this afternoon, what you'll see is a Savior who came into the world in a context that was anything but favorable. A Savior that came into the world in a context that was anything but pretty. A Savior that came into the world born to teenage peasant parents second-class citizens they all were then he exists throughout life oftentimes it seems as you go on to read the gospels as a homeless man certainly one of very low economic status then he is rejected by the people he loves the most He's misunderstood again and again. He doesn't take power for himself, but he takes the way of humility and ultimately he dies on a cross. And yet, the favor of God was centered on the Son of God, was it not? You you see, my friends, God was up to something bigger, even through very terrible circumstances. And so it can be in our lives as well. But what God gives to us today, please hear this, is not some abstract idea. Sometimes we come to Christmas and we talk about the Christmas spirit, this nice ethereal feeling. Ooh, okay, that's okay. But God gives something better than that. He doesn't give some nice abstract idea that you can find on a, a Hallmark card, He gives a person. He gives his one and only son flesh and blood to identify with us right where we are. 800 years before the birth of Jesus, God promised he would give his son on Christmas. And it sounds like this that we just read from Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. Let me just read one verse here once again. For unto us a child is born, and here it is again, unto us a son is," is given. Unto us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. You know there are like 250 names for Jesus in the Bible? I, I, I mean, you can't even keep track of them all. There's so many names for Jesus. Perhaps that's because his name is so impossible to compare to all other names. He is so transcendently more beautiful than anything else we've ever experienced. So there's so many names of Jesus. But at least these four give us a good start. He was wonderful counselor. That word wonderful communicates though, this sense of being completely uncommon, out of the ordinary. It's like, have you ever been to the Grand Canyon? Wow. Wonderful. Or you look over the Pacific Ocean. That's wonderful. You get reunited with a long lost friend that you haven't seen for years. That's out of the ordinary. It's wonderful. You get to hold an infant baby to your chest. That's wonderful. This is Jesus, out of the ordinary. Wonderful. And then he's a counselor. Wonderful counselor. A couple weeks ago, I was working out at the YMCA. And if you've ever been over to the YMCA, there's a, a first story and then a second story. I was up on the, the second story, lifting weights, getting big and muscular, as you see. And I don't blame you for not laughing, I've used that joke too many times. Uh, and I was, I was looking down, taking a little break from my big weights. And I was looking down at the uh, the gymnasium as there were eight and nine year old girls getting ready for an indoor soccer game, and as they were all practicing for this game, one girl take takes a shot as hard as she possibly can with this ball, and it hits another girl not more than seven or eight feet away, directly in the eye, and she starts to shriek. And it was an amazing phenomenon as I watched this, like no one did anything. Everyone just stood around watching her. No one ran over her. None of the other kids stopped. They all kept shooting goals. And so she's crying, I think first out of pain as everyone else is warming up. And then second, she starts darting her eyes around, looking around, where's my mom? And then she cries a little bit louder, and her mother knows her cry. And so her mother's like me. She's past her prime, okay? She's maybe 40 years old, and she's not a decathlete any longer. But she picks up into a sprint across that track on the second floor and down this long flight of stairs, and then she goes into the gymnasium and she hops over the barrier for the soccer field, and she runs to her daughter and picks her into her arms and holds her. and She stops crying, and they go over to find a seat together, as everyone else continues well with their practice, and after she consoles her daughter for a few moments, she goes out and gets an ice pack, and then sits with her as the game begins. And it struck me. That's a portrait of Jesus, who was looking down from above, and he hears our cry when we think that we are completely lonely and isolated from anyone else even looking on. And he knows our voice, so he runs to us and he finds us. And like a good counselor, sometimes Jesus solves our problems, and other times he just sits with us. He's a wonderful counselor. And he's an everlasting father. A father here is not using the trinitarian term for father. No, God the Father gave God the Son. There's one God with three persons, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. He gave the Son to become a sacrifice for us. Rather, Father here is a reference to the generous and beautiful character of God the Son, Jesus Christ. It's a portrait of the ideal king, the ideal father, if you will, that none of us had. The ideal father, if you will, that none of us are, me included. But all of us long for, who is constant, who is consistent, who is a protective provider and who is always near to us, who is everlasting, who can be counted on. Everlasting Father. This is our God. I wonder, I know it's Christmas Eve and many of you don't know me, but I wonder if we can get just a pinch of audience participation here tonight. What what is your favorite Christmas carol? Anyone? Oh, Holy Night? Silent Night? You raising your hand, young man. What is it? Sleigh Ride. ride. Okay, there we go. Yeah. What else? Okay, great. Shout them out. Jingle bells. All right. Batman smells. Deck the halls. All right. Good one. Yeah. Mary, did you know? Okay. All kinds of great Christmas carols, right? My favorite is the one, though, that I heard over here, O Holy Night. O Holy Night speaks to this reality of an everlasting Father who's yet at the same time mighty God. You think about this, he's a a constant protective provider for us, and yet at the same time he is mighty God who is stronger and can always be counted on to eventually get his purpose done in the world. And O, O Holy Night speaks to that. Listen to a few of these words. Truly he taught us to love one another. His law is love, and his gospel is peace. His law is love, and his gospel is peace. Chains shall... He break for the slave is our brother. And in his name all oppression shall cease. Chains shall he break for the slave is our brother. He's mighty he's mighty God and yet he became our brother. He's mighty God and yet he became a slave to take on our sin, to go to the cross and to bring us to God, to become servant of all servants. He practiced downward mobility. He was the first king to ever do so. The, pez, the, the prince of all princes becomes a peasant. I mean, you think about what he gave up in coming to earth to become our brother. He left streets paved with gold for the dirt of ancient Israel and Israel. Palestine. And yet at the same time, he is mighty God who one day promises he will make all oppression cease. Such that we go on to sing in that carol, let all within us praise his holy name. Christ is the Lord. His power and glory evermore proclaim. His power and glory evermore proclaim. Christ is. The Lord, this is our God. He is wonderful counselor, everlasting father, mighty God, and he is Prince of Peace. Aren't you glad that we have a Prince of Peace here in this Christmas season? I'm so grateful for a Prince of Peace in the middle of the hectic nature of the Christmas season. I mean, we got Black Friday to conquer, don't we? Then after that, now we got cyber monday to conquer as well you got all the hubbub of all the different stores that, that you have to go to and after you do all that you have your office parties to attend and after the office parties you have family gatherings and after family gatherings you have therapy appointments it is a hectic season in which we need the prince of peace One psychologist, blogger, has even written that from the highs to the lows, we're likely to experience the following six stages of Christmas as we celebrate yet another holiday with loved ones together this year. Listen to these stages. Christmas mode, she explains, usually consists of equal parts, eagerness, anxiety, excitement, satisfaction, weakness, and depression. Have you been there? I've been there after Christmas. I think we'd have to be honest and say from time to time we've been there through those six stages of Christmas. But what she misses in those six stages of Christmas is the most important stage, which is love. The most important stage of Christmas is love. It's understanding that divine love descended from heaven to earth for you. It's understanding that divine love Became a man to identify with you, with whatever you might be going through today. That he downsized from glory to the ordinary form of a peasant to draw near to us. And he is our Prince of Peace. Still today, you think of it, friends, 2,000 years later, still today, Jesus is bringing peace to weary, unsettled souls who call upon his name. Still today, 2,000 years later, Jesus brings peace to embittered families who call upon his name and practice his lifestyle of pursuing peace with one another on Christmas morning, the day after, and in the weeks to come. I pray that for you and your families that you experience the Prince of Peace that comes for you personally and for your loved ones around you. What would make Christmas great to God? It's His idea in the first place. If I dare, I'd have to say that what would make Christmas great to God is that we would receive this wonderful counselor, this mighty God, this everlasting Father, this Prince of Peace. I know anytime we gather here on a Sunday morning, there's always people who have said to God for a long, long time, later on, God, I'll deal with you later. I really don't want to deal with you right now. I have other things that I am focusing on. I'm dealing with my career right now. I'm dealing with my relationships right now. Later on, God, there are some who have resisted the offer of this Prince of Peace and there are others who have kind of passively ignored the offer of the Prince of Peace, but either way, I want you to know the gift of Christ in the stable on Christmas morning originally and still on Christmas morning today and tomorrow is this. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest for your souls. I am the Prince of Peace. I desire to be your wonderful counselor. I desire to be your mighty God. I desire to be your everlasting Father. All we need to do is receive the gift. So, where are you today? Have you received the gift? Do you need to receive it afresh once again? To stop resisting God? To stop passively ignoring God? And consider perhaps that God gave his one and only begotten son for you as well. That his grace is extended to you. And we would receive him today. Which would be God's standard for a great Christmas this year. Would you pray with me? Oh, Father, thank you that you chose to give your Son. You are such a good, good Father. I thank you, Father, that against every idea of man, against all of our natural thoughts about who God is, you reveal yourself in the Scriptures to be a giver, not a taker. Father, we thank you that we can count on you so much so that you have given your one and only Son to identify with us here on Christmas, to be Emmanuel with us, no matter what we are going through, and ultimately to be our Savior who dies for us. Thank you, Father God, for the gift of your Son. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you have come and you did indeed some 2,000 years ago pierce the darkness. We thank you that still today, Lord, you are bringing light into very dark places. You're bringing peace to places where division rests. We ask, God, that you would begin with us even tonight. We bring glory to you. Your power and glory evermore proclaim. Your power and glory evermore proclaim. Through Christ our Lord we pray together. Amen.